You're listening to Unmotivated and Unprepared, a podcast where we take a break from the everyday hustle and bustle to muse about life, liberty, and the pursuit of randomness. Now here's Greg and Ross. Howdy, everybody. It's Ross. And it's Greg. And welcome back to episode number six of Unmotivated and Unprepared. So, so Greg, we're at six. The podcast is aging. We're, we're getting older. We're, <laughs> you know, we're, we're getting up there. We've, we've gone past the toddling stage. We now are somewhat self-sufficient, but our parents still have to watch us. So it got me thinking about getting older. Now okay. this isn't this isn't going to be an exercise and you know Ross talking about you're only as old as you you know you act blah blah blah. This is really more about here's what I was reflecting on. Birthdays. You had a birthday recently. I've got a half birthday coming up in a little yep. bit, you know. And it's always our merry merry on birthday, right? Yes, it's so. always always always. So but I was thinking about it. There's this, I don't know if it's a bell curve, if it's an inverse bell curve, but it's, there's a sweet spot of when the conjunction of a birthday is both all about you and you're excited about it. So like what under three years old is the birthday really about you? No, it's about your parents, right? I mean, they're, they're excited. You get the smash cake, but do you remember any of your birthday from like years one to four? Probably not outside of pictures. Then you get that sweet spot. I'm thinking like 5 to 12, 5 to 13, where you are excited for your birthday. The party is awesome. You've got your friends. It's all about you. And then all of a sudden, birthdays get into this weird place where it's like, it's just, and I'll say an excuse for now. We'll get to it. But it's an excuse for people to come together and party. And then all of a sudden, later in your life, depending on the person you don't really want to celebrate because you're getting older and then really late in life, you're just kind of sitting there destitute and you've got all your family around and they're meeting. <laughs> so dark. So and it's dark, like, Ross. And it's like a family reunion. <laughs> so like, so I got to think about that. I'm like, Greg, should we be celebrating birthdays? I think we should. I think, when you when you look at life, and and someone told me this, and there's several books out there. We just did a quick search before we started today. Is there's several books out there that say live life with an exclamation point, etc. And I think most of those are really about just being excited about just the mundane. I don't want that to be the thought process here. However, I do think Billy Crystal said it best: do something special. He learned from his mother that do something special on your birthday. Now his stuff that he did special was like play ball with the New York Yankees. We're not going to have that opportunity. Yeah, no kidding. But I think there is something else to be said about exclamation points in life, which is a weddings, in funerals, which are really sad, but they're a moment where everybody comes together. And I think birthdays are that one annual moment where you have a date on the calendar that you can come together and celebrate with people. Now, you and I both have, I think, the same sentiment about birthdays, which is, eh, I don't really go about celebrating myself that much. Like, I don't need that, right? But maybe we're missing out. We're missing out on the opportunity for other people to find a reason to celebrate and celebrate why they love 
you or why they want to be around you. And for one moment, it takes the pressure off of them and thinking about their issues and their troubles and beginning to just celebrate someone else and someone else being in their life and thinking about those moments. I think those are touch points or uh, that we or touchstones of life that we oftentimes blow through and taking that moment to say, let's celebrate. Yeah. Do you, but do you think going back to people celebrating others, like, like you look at social media and everything's all about yourself and then you get your birthday and people give you the whole like happy birthday generic thing on Facebook. And I wonder, is that has, well, one has the pandemic made that worse because we haven't been able to come together. So now it's just like another day and it's just a checkbox. And is that something that we need to be more intentional about is going outside of our way, even if it's just, you know, the one person and maybe not just saying one thing, but giving them a call or reaching out to them? I think there are face. So social media is an easy passive thing. I remember when email, I remember when we were kids and email was a thing and you actually had access to it. I remember being in high school and like everybody's excited to set up an email account with weird handles. Right. And you'd have email, but no one ever, we didn't use it. I mean, not really. We like, we always be like, Oh, now, unlike back in the day and I lived overseas right now, when a friend and my friends move all the time because you're military. Oh, now we'll stay in touch with email, man. We didn't do that. And social media, almost always, when you look at it, is there are probably 10% of people that are active users. We can go validate this on the internet. There's probably 10% of active users who actually use it and comment and and those, and lots of casual users. I think both you and I are casual users. Oh yeah, yeah, total total lurker. Yeah, yeah. We don't we don't post on Reddit, but we read Reddit. I mean, we're not gonna go on social media. We're not gonna post comment. Like I'll watch a video on social media on YouTube, and I'll never comment. Right. I try mm-hmm, to make an active mm-hmm. effort, but it's just not my style. I think that speaks to our attitude and perspective of how we view con- contributors, like even us. Right. Yeah. We don't, and having a podcast, we don't view those contributions as genuine, as authentic. We don't see us talking to, I mean, people pay. Like two people I like, Rhett and Link, are doing a uh, thing in October in Austin where they're going to bring together everyone who likes the mythical world. And there's a cynical attitude on my perspective. Be like, you're charging $400 for tickets to meet a YouTuber. That's just a money grab, right? But to the people who are going, it's, it's a sense of community. Yeah. 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 It's, a, it's community. They, yeah. They have this attachment to this, to these stars and to each other, and they have a unified interest. And to them, it is an authentic engagement. To them, it is authentic. To me, it's not authentic. I don't know them and I don't ever care to know them. It's not a thing that I'm going to feel special because I know them. And I, I remember this in college. I used to talk about people, famous people I had met. And, and over life, I've met famous people here and there. They never seem like anything special. They're just people. Yeah, they're just people, which sometimes is a good thing because yeah. you don't want someone to be elevated to an untouchable level where you don't feel like, because then you ruin that connection. Like it's weird with celebrities and just people you look up to that are almost untouchable. It's like part of the reason you look up to them is because, well, maybe, I don't know. Is part of the reason we look up to people because they are untouchable and we feel we'll never reach that status and we want to be like them? Or is it a personality that we respect and an ethic that they have and we want to be like them or associate with them and form that sense of, you know, 
togetherness? I think leaders, and this is a thought process leaders at companies that I would like to remind every leader at every company, is we don't have royals in this country. We don't have any royals. There are no royalty. We don't, didn't grow up with a monarch. We didn't have that. But I think what we do is we put our leaders of companies as royalty. They're kings and queens of, of the organization. We look at the Kardashians as being royals. They are people that we watch for how to act, how to operate. I mean, look, like take the Victorian era, right? The idea that people looked at tea, the British royals would and aristocrats would have tea at four o'clock because they didn't have anything else to do. The rich yeah. people who have lord over minions of whatever, and they're like doing deals, and but most of their time was a lo- was a leisure class. They 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 didn't have to do a whole lot, and they would just have tea at four o'clock because you know that's what you do when you have nothing else going on at four o'clock. Yeah, drink and some so, tea. Yeah, it drinks some tea. So so high tea became a thing that the middle class wanted to emulate. That's where China, like porcelain China, came in. That's where people began to want to emulate those lifestyles. So it's not a surprise that, that we're continuing as humans to do the same things that we've always done. So people are emulating Kardashians. And we can, we can chastise them for their behavior. And I think we should, right? Them getting all the plastic surgery is telling young girls to get plastic surgery. But that's expected. When you put a group of people up as royals, that's expected. Yeah, of uh, course. And so I think those those cultural touchstones, those things that we look at, the, the royals, the celebrities, the people, they, they tell us how we should act, how we should operate. Most of us. And, and, they're, there, and, they're, there, and they're there to tell us how not to act, right? They're there to help us understand how to navigate it, the world. You, yeah, you can, you can get some really good life lessons from That's a situation right. like, uh, oop, don't do that. So now I yeah. will say, so we're getting kind of deep here, at a moment of levity. You said we don't have royals in the United States. That's not completely true, Greg. Ever since I've got my Vitamix, I feel like I am a smoothie king. <laughs> so don't 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 fair, say we don't have any. Fair, but fair. that being said, people aren't watching me make smoothies being like I want to be like him. So that's right. To to your point, like all, but you're emulating. But yes. but yeah, but you're emulating, right? You're emulating like buying a Vitamix makes you feel like I mean, I know yeah. I have one. It makes you feel like you're the king of the blend. Like you've got oh, yeah. like this <laughs> king of the blend. Oh, I love it. Oh, that's the best king of the but, blend. But that's but that is I mean, it is. It's a luxury product. It is. Without yes. question, it's a luxury product. 100%. I have wanted one for like 10 years. Finally right. convinced the appropriations committee, my wife, to allow me <laughs> to purchase a Vitamix. And I've used it every day since then to prove that I want to get the value from it. But she's had smoothies too. She likes them as well. So, Oh, I love them. Yeah. I mean, you can make soup in it. I mean, we can talk about the Vitamix for a whole 15 minutes about why I like the Vitamix. Yeah. But it, not, but it, not but, an advertisement, folks. But how, how, different, how different is it from an actual regular blender? It's... it's Faster. I mean, Eh, stronger it's powerful sure we could say all it's made in america i mean we could say a lot of things but it functionally it's just a higher end product that you could buy as a minion right yes so so going back to i think it's interesting that you brought up emulating things and 
for these for these kind of moments and then combining that with a sense of community because we talked about we talked about birthday parties and I think it is good to to have get-togethers and you if a birthday party is an excuse for it a family reunion is an excuse for it even though family is a whole different topic um <laughs> born born into that um is is there something that in the last couple of years and and returning back to normal where everybody's trying to go back to normal did the pandemic really just screw us up like when it comes to what we see as normal and these cultural norms because i mean obviously the in person thing prevented a lot of the you know the distancing prevented a lot of the the birthday get togethers and we started to go virtually but is that recoverable? I mean, I mean, do we, cause I feel like it's a very polarizing thing now. So now you have this other kind of polarizing topic that you want to get together, but then you want to be cautious about it. So I, I think a good analogy here is unless you're Inuit or, you know, original peoples or however we call, whatever we call natives of, of, the Arctic, right? The Alaska area, etc. The only people who are moving to the Yukon territory or going to live in Alaska are people who want to be all by themselves. Yeah. Right. That, that's it. That, that's the only people who are going there or buying a giant ranch in Montana. Like the only people who are doing that are people who want to be alone. Yes. And there's really a reason, alone. There's a reason why people who buy ranches in Texas don't live there full time for the most part. They love the idea of, so, of being of the solitude that comes with it for a weekend, but they're not spending their life there. And it's hard, right? It's hard to be alone. And so I, I, when I look at remote, I get that we have all of these virtual technologies that emulate social connection. They emulate human contact, but they aren't real, right? We, if it, if we take the podcast. We invented this on ourselves to maintain this kind of social connection that connection. we, you and I absolutely adore, but it's still not the same as every day sitting there having breakfast together like we used to. Yeah, of course not. No. And I even, I even, I like, I even yesterday I was talking about, I was like, I asked my wife, I said, when's the last time we saw Greg? Like I, I was literally yeah. like trying to think of when's the last time I saw Greg? She was like, Oh, Christmas. I'm like, man, it's been a long time. And and coming from me, who's like, I'm totally a introvert. I'm a homebody. I like to explore things, but leave me, leave me alone, my small, small group. But I was even like, I kind of crave that, crave that social interaction with people, with certain with, with some people. So yeah, as much as the technology is there, I will admit I was two years ago, you would have asked me the question, I'd be like, Psh, I never need to see another person again. Technology's amazing. There's there's a gap. Now it's helped. It's helped me buffer some things that I'm like, good. I didn't really ever need that anyways, but there are things that I miss. I think one of the, one of the things that I noticed about myself and I just, I had an opportunity this, this last week to go and be with the, the leaders of the company, right? The leaders of the company that I work for and be around them. And someone made the comment to me that they thought I was an introvert. And I thought it was an interesting comment, right? I thought it was an interesting comment. And I think what's interesting about it is that because I don't have that constant interaction that you would have on a normal basis where things are organic and you just flow, I have this 
unusual awkwardness and I overcompensate mm-hmm. by being super on, like totally on and yeah. I'm not normal. Right. And, and I didn't have a chance to recover since I got back. And so I've noticed how my personality is not in that good equilibrium where I'm both fun and interesting, but also muted and what I like, I'm just, I was just completely drained in the exact opposite. And at that moment I was like, maybe I am an introvert. And then I was like, Oh wait, I'm going to go talk to Russ. Yeah, like, no, no. Like, like, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Let me, let me introduce you to my friend. I'll show you what an introvert is. <laughs> but I, but I think even introverts, I think, I think, I think what the challenge is, is that we're going to try to force, we're trying we're trying, we're going to try to force hyper interactions by maintaining remote because we're so afraid now. I, I talked to flight attendants, right? A great example. Used to be flight attendants had to be located where they were, right? Like mm-hmm. if you were at a Dallas office, you had to be at a Dallas, the Dallas, you know, flight crew. Now you can live in Ohio, get up in the morning, catch a flight and get there and make your flights. The idea that you're now not where you were before, not in that culture that you were not attached to the, to the, sense of community that 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 company because most of us don't sign up for a job just because of the salary correct one of the questions that i think is important you always ask in an interview is why are you hiring in the first place like what happened last time what happened to joe who was here before <laughs> yep why did he quit right like i mean it's i think if anybody asks us about a previous employer that we worked for i think that would be the that would be the question that i would ask them because there's been such a shift in yes. employees that have worked there why did people leave and why are people joining? And the answer probably is a lot more tied to culture values, et cetera, than it is tied to what salary people were making and the job they wanted to jump to. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I had somebody ask me, what's the biggest risk we have to our organization? And I said, culture. Yeah. I would, I would have told you attrition, yada, yada, but that's, that's just a symptom. It's more, it's more culture. And I think just when, when you hear the term, you know, new normal or returning back to the new normal, it sounds like such an edict and so forced, like to your point of hyper collaborative, you must do that. We've got to give it. And I think we'll look back. There's probably some equation for every year of the pandemic that we had that there's probably X number of years that we have to ease back into an understanding of what that looks like. And some things may fundamentally change and others might not. I was talking to my wife about, activities and, and things. Cause we have a, I am, this is part of my new normal. I invented something yesterday. It's called adventure coffee Saturdays. And we go find a random coffee place to get coffee at each Saturday. Normally, you know, I make the coffee. I'm not a coffee drinker, but I make the coffee. It's, it's kind of it's fairly cathartic for me, but I've decided on Saturdays adventure coffee. So I, she was drinking her coffee and I said, do you think coffee will be around in a hundred years? Like the, the art of like going to a coffee shop and everything. I'm like, tea has, I mean, tea, ancient, thousands of years, thousands of years. So there's certain things that, and that was, I was kind of like, do you think this product and this product? I was like, I need to talk to Greg about what are the things that we feel are totally a 20th century invention that won't be around versus things that have staying power. And I think it's right back to these cultural things that we do what are the things that actually have staying power? Well, I think, I think humans will always be a social animal, right? It's weird to watch. I don't know if you feel this way, but I watch like an animal documentary 
and you realize how quickly animal doc most animals are solitary. Like yeah. most animals have want nothing to do. Like we think about the lobster and how the lobster would like, we're like, oh, look, all the lobsters. Lobsters want to be all by themselves. They don't want to be near any other lobsters. Yeah. Unless it's mating season, they want to just be alone. Yeah. Yeah. They're just, I'm, I'm just going to go over here and my, my side of the yeah. pool, just chill. And just it's a secret to their survival because if they're all together, then it's like a feeding frenzy. If yes. they're by themselves, they can maintain. So, but we are the opposite. We are only effective and successful because we were together, right? I mean, it used to be, I was reading this article about tribes and, and hunting and the fact that the human body was designed to do a flat out sprint for five miles. Yep. I can't do a flat out sprint for a minute and a half, let alone five miles. But, but it was because the way it worked was one would run faster than one would get One human would get tired and run, yes. flow back a bit. The other one would speed up and we would basically run a deer out. That was how humans hunted. We would just tire them out, just run yes, until they, until they, they until out. they fall over. Yeah. I read a book yeah. about that, um, about, oh gosh, I feel bad because I can't remember the name of the people in Mexico and they were just so good at running and everything. And then I read some more stuff and like, there are, you know, there are tribes and still somewhat exist where they will run and they will share the running burden until the animal is just worn out. And that's how they were built. But you can't do that by yourself. You can no. run, you could run five miles sprint nonstop. You're still not going to be able to catch your food in, no. in no. a, in a, more prehistoric and, society. And we got smarter. We invented better weapons to hunt them. We invented different ways. We invented traps. We would like push something into a region. But again, we couldn't take down a Macedon by ourselves. There's no way yeah. we could have taken down a Macedon by ourselves. And our tribes got bigger and bigger based upon the food sources. So if we wanted to hunt a Macedon, which would feed, let's say, 40 people, we would need about that many to hunt the damn to thing. To hunt the thing. Yeah. So it, it was at scale. So you needed people, which is so interesting. So like all of these activities we do and things that, you know, quote, have staying power, whether it's a social activity or a necessity, hunting, gathering food, right. cooking food, you know, and now and nowadays, you know, having a sustainable income to support a family of four, five, six, whatever that means it's all a sense of community and there's others. So it's all wrapped around that. So then it's also down to what are your, what are your activities that you do from a community perspective by need versus for fun and social well, interaction? Oh, and I, I think about the thing that's happened with the pandemic. The, the number one thing that I've seen show up, humans are naturally, I mean, unfortunately we're, we are what we are and we're an animal. I, anybody who's not keeping score knows we're an animal. Uh, and we're self-interested, right? Animals are naturally self-interested. What the pandemic did, I mean, do, look, 10 years ago, you would not even five years ago, you would never have thought of telling your employer, I'm not coming back to the office. Like, like that, that would, the idea that you have the gall to say, I'm not going back to the right? office and, and the office is like, okay, I can't afford to lose this person. What is that nonsense? Yeah. Like, like, wait, like I'm sorry. Say that <laughs> you exchange your human capital for monetary capital for financial capital, right? That is, that is the equation. And I'm sorry, employers, like you, you tell us what to do if we work for you. Yes. yes. The idea that any employer out there thinks it's okay. And I get it. Right. And, and I think the company that I work for and not to talk too much about, cause we, tr we have rules about what we talk about did this all remote strategy. And I think it's backfiring. I think it's dramatically backfiring because 
there was no, there is no unifying source at the beginning of the company to say, this is what we are. Right. And that alone makes remote very hard, but now take companies that had unifying missions and visions and values. They've hired in some cases, 20, 30% new staff that have never been in the organization to understand the mission, vision, and values. And so they're operating from their previous mission, vision, and values. Yes. And they're working with people and sometimes half their team or more than their team have a different set of vision, vision, and values that are incongruent. Yeah, because they've never they've never had that solid understanding and had the mechanism to come together and do that. So and and, and if a company was originally remote and all remote, they they might be fine. But that's because when they started out, they had a strategy for how to embed that culture when somebody came on because you were remote. That wasn't a part of it. And I think that's what a lot of companies are struggling with is hybrid remote in the office. What does that look like? How do you keep that? And I mean, I'm I'm still a skeptic when it comes to, well, I'm a skeptic because I don't know. I need the data. I need the data to show me how much the culture plays into the effectiveness of people. But then again, I'm one person. I'm one I'm one data point. I know I can be productive remote. I can be really productive remote, more so than in person. But that's because it's my personality. And I have, I have the, you know, I feel like I have the maturity to recognize that. I think that's where the, that's where the conversation is completely like disjointed. So there are narratives and people don't, the thing is they don't have the words, right? They don't have the words for it. We, we say things like productivity. I believe that people are, very productive because they just are. I don't believe people are sitting around watching YouTube. I, look, I can't. Like, I can't sit at my desk and and I can maybe spend 15 minutes shopping for a minute, like taking a break from work. But anything more than that, either I feel guilty that I should be doing work or or I just don't want to. I get bored. I need to be doing yeah. something. You need, to, you need to context switch at some point back to what you were doing. Right. So I don't think that, I don't think that productivity is the issue. However, I will qualify productivity with a different word, which is effectiveness. Uh, I don't know if people are as effective out, outside. They can work for hours. I can sit down a programmer for eight hours. And I see this at my company. I see developers can actually do work. I can see them actually do the code, but it's not good. Like it's not where it should be. Like it's not the quality that it should be. And the reason it's not at the quality it should be is not any fault of the developer. It's mm -hmm. because there isn't that unifying, hey, we're a team, look over your shoulder. Hey, look, let's talk about the gym, all right? I can go to the gym and work out. I can go to the gym and work out and I can be productive. I can do, if the, if the time thing says I have to do 220, I have to do 200, two minute, like to get it to 220 on the rowing machine or whatever it is, or the bike or whatever I'm doing, I got to get to a certain number. I can get there. Yeah. But, but guess what? That's not my best. That's just yeah. what I get. Because my best is when the trainer comes by and I trip out and go, God, I got to go faster. Yeah, yeah. You weren't, you weren't being as effective. You were being productive. You were making, you were making progress. That's but right. Were you as being as effective as you could in that situation? And, and on top of that, oh, no, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Russ. Well, and I think, and that's where, to your point, is you needed another motivating element. You know, you needed something else or someone else. And that's different for everybody. And, and maybe that's not a good example because I think that's just when I get tired of the gym. I think I try to do my best every time I start something, but we'll use a better example from the gym because this is real. This is legitimately real. I am not a coordinated individual. There's nothing about me that's an, a that's an athlete. Like 
I, I, I can't do the movements right every time. And if the trainer doesn't come by and help me fix, I think I've won a medal, but also I get worried that somehow I, I she's just not paying attention. I'm doing this all wrong. And, yeah. and and better than not, about two minutes after I have that thought, the trader comes by and goes, you're doing that wrong. I'm like, yep, thought so. I was pretty yep. sure I was doing it wrong. And that's that's the part. That's probably a better analogy of what's actually happening is that yeah. is that I'm doing the lifting. You're I'm four. there. You're I'm four. doing the work. I'm doing the I'm doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. I'm doing the exercise. I showed up at 530 in the morning. I'm doing the exercise. I'm spending the time. But I'm not doing it at the best of my abilities because I don't know how to do it the right way because mm -hmm. I don't have someone who's helping me or I'm and, and helping me grow. And we as humans require that we require that engagement and it's just, it's physically impossible to do that remote. And the reason it's physically impossible is because every meeting has to be a, every interaction has to be a meeting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like if you walk by someone's desk at the office, and I'm I'm an MBWA. It may be my because I'm a manager by walking. I manage by walking around, but I spend time with the people, and so you build cultural connection. You build visibility. You're able to answer questions, and half the time you don't know what to tell somebody. I hate to break it to anybody, but you got a bunch of stuff in your brain that's in compartments that can come out as soon as somebody asks you, but you're not exactly sure they need that information right now. Yep. Otherwise, yep. you'd just be like word vomiting all over the place, mm -hmm. everywhere. You'd be like, "Oh, right. didn't really want to say that." Yeah. Right. So, so I think that's that's the part that's missing is that people get stuck. I had this. I had this with one employee. He's he he just gets stuck because he has lots of questions and has no one to ask them to. Well, part of that I think it's his own self efficacy, his own his own self motivation to go find people. But part of it's also just it's a natural human condition that, and I've seen this in developers a lot. They get stuck on something. And rather than going to the next story, they get sidetracked or distracted by something else rather than going, okay, I'll put this as a blocker, grab a new story, or I'll go ask someone this question to solve my problem. Mm -hmm. And just get it and just knock it out and get it done. Yeah. But, yeah. You, but on a team, you can have that. You, you, you don't get that in a remote setting as effectively because we don't have the skills. We, we as humans have never been this way. Yes. This is the first time we were for, it's like we're for... The pandemic has forced us to become lobsters. That's what I've learned from this entire 30 yes. minutes. The pandemic has forced us to become lobsters. So but unlike lobsters, but unlike lobsters, we're not willing to be uncomfortable and grow, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want any uncomfortability now. We want everything to be easy. Yes. And like lobsters, they have to be uncomfortable to molt their, molt their shell and grow into a bigger lobster. Instead oh. of like, hey, I'll just dig a hole. I'm just going to dig this hole and stay here. And if food comes by, I'll eat it. And yeah, and somebody keeps paying me. So I'll just keep doing the same thing because they keep paying me doing and no one's over. growing to the next level. I'll yep. leave you with one last story. And I, I thought it was funny. It was on LinkedIn and a guy said, I've been working remote for the last 10 years mm -hmm. and I've been effective. And I looked at his job title. He's in sales. So I pinged him. I pinged him on LinkedIn. I just wanted to. I wanted to ping him on LinkedIn. Oh, he you said, couldn't resist. No, he said, I've been in remote. I've been remote for 10 years. I've been effective. And he goes, I work in my home office all the time. I said, sure. <clears throat> so before the pandemic, did you go to offices? He goes, yeah, yeah. If I had an issue with a client, I'd get on a plane and go to their office. I'm like, so were you really remote? He's like, well, I was remote because I did my work at home. I'm like, yeah, but what was your work? He's like being on the phone with people and doing sales. Right. And then if you had a problem, you would go get on a plane and go to their office. Yeah. So he was remote when needed. 
remote when needed. Right. And I think that's the difference is that I'm, I'm for having a couple days that I think employers who can't offer their employees one, two, even three days at home, I think is a short sighted perspective because they call in productivity, but those are companies where there's an established culture, the people are connected and the work is effective and they have the leadership skill set to be able to spend the time. Here's the other part. Leaders are so often politicians, not actual leaders, and they spend their time going to meetings where they politic and posture, but have no idea what the day-to-day looks like on their teams unless they were sitting there osmosisly and they don't have the skill set to understand the uh, intentional actions to be able to engage with their people. Yeah, yeah. But we, and we, but we forced that, right? Being a leader, we forced that situation where it is a lot of politics. And there, and don't get me wrong, those meetings, there are decisions that need to be made. I think you could make a f- decision in five minutes versus a 30-minute meeting and cut, cut down on that. But I guess my struggle always is, and you know, being the introvert, I'm like, I'll come in one day a week. I'm good. But if none of my folks are there, I can't do that anyway. So that goes right back to, will it ever change? And I think that's just, the data is just going to have to show that. And you're just going to have to, because I don't, I don't necessarily think if I built a team of all people that wanted to come into the office, would they, would they necessarily be a more effective team than a team that was all remote? I don't know. What are they working on? What are they, what are they doing and just because they're all in the office, then they might sit there and chat with one another all day long and not do work. So it's, you know, it, it just depends on, I think it depends on the situation. There's so many different elements that I think we just weren't ready for when the pandemic happened, but also it's exposing some things that in the past we probably, we probably would never, we'd be completely blind to it had the pandemic not happened. So I think I'll sum up Americans entitlement with work. And one, and one statement I read, which was your employer should pay you from the moment you leave your house to when you get to the office and then pay you on the way out to go home. And their argument was about remote. The idea that you're getting more work hours because I'm remote versus, versus when I would drive in. I didn't choose for you to live that far away. I didn't say you had to take the train for an hour. I didn't make that rule. That You decide as a human that that's what you want to do. You took the job with this employer but wanted to live where you wanted to live. You could go live in a shoebox in New York City. That is your allowance. You're allowed to do that. But you chose not to. I'm not paying you as the company to do it. This idea of entitlement, you are not an entrepreneur. You are share, You are choosing to sign up to work for an employer to get paid. Now, I like remote work two days a week. I get more done remote. I'm going to work today. I'm going to spend probably four or five hours on a Sunday doing work because I got to get this stuff done for a Monday morning. Work, you work as needed. Life is a blend. You work as needed. However, there is no doubt in my mind that, that humans require tribal connection. They, they require a social reason for showing up. There is a purposeful connection for working with your friends, Right. They, they should be right. If you don't go to work and have friends at work, I, I love this cynical attitude. People, I don't have any friends at work. I'm like, yeah, right. Cause if you don't, then you should get another place to work because they're like, I, I'm not saying you tell everybody about your like social issues or talk about your spousal problems, but I mean, there should be friends enough that like you enjoy going to lunch with them or getting a cup yeah, of coffee. Have like, some interaction. If when you have those bonds and those social connections, 
you will inevitably want to do more work. You will want to, you'll be more inspired to do work because you don't work because of salary. You don't work because you love. Look, if we boiled our companies down to they are just places to make money for some sort of shareholder or some other entity or for CEOs with the astronomical salaries. Like if you break it down to what you really do for a living, you wouldn't do work. We'd go like all start intentional communities and start communes or something else. Yeah. We, we do it because we like the people we work with. We like the office that we go to. We like having those shared moments. And some of us have found our wives, our husbands, our partners. We, some of us have found, we found our life at our employers yeah. and they are centers of that. And in right now, I don't think there's an American right now that can tell you they work for a center. They don't work for, they like, they don't work. And, and yes, you can find other things. You go to your church, you can find clubs, you can find other things. But if we don't bring people back together at their employer where they spend 90% of their life at, we are going to continue to have an entitled culture that's going to breed animosity, that's going to breed a culture where people don't depend on each other. You're going to breed a place where all you are, are insular and humans are not lobsters. They are not lobsters. We are not lobsters. Take that sound bit. No, this is good, Greg. And I think... I'm sure it will be a, for those that make it through 36 minutes and some odd seconds of our podcast, definitely be some people that disagree with you. Definitely some people that agree with you. And I think it's a balance. And it also shows that this is probably why when people retire, they quote, get bored or they start doing something else because they lost that work. So I think that's, that's a whole not, we got, we have to have a whole topic on retirement. Cause I, am yeah, I think real, that's I, next one. I, I think we, we need to talk about retirement because you know, I mean, I plan on retiring in two or three years and it's going <laughs> to be, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the best three years of retirement ever. Nobody knows how old I am. Have I seen how old I was? I just said I was getting older. I'm not, I'm 92 folks. I'm 92. I did mention my mom in one, oh, one episode. She was listening. So she's uh, 114. <laughs> so anyways, but yes, I think it's a good topic. A little deeper today. I had to get a laugh or two in, uh, but but it's good. And I think it. these are the topics. These are the topics we have at breakfast. I mean, it's not quite breakfast time right now, but I like this. This is good. And back to my question of how long has it been since I've seen Greg? I look forward to seeing you again sometime soon, Greg. Very soon. Uh, very, very, very soon. Very soon. So look forward to that. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. You can turn your radio back to FM now and <laughs> enjoy some uh, delicious tunes. Talk to you all soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Unmotivated and Unprepared. Join us again next time as we continue to meander through random topics at a pace defined by our mood, the weather, and what happened five minutes earlier.